You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, guys. Well, as I've said, it's uh, exciting to be back with you this morning, to see so many eyes I haven't seen for months. <laughs> and maybe, maybe, who knows, outside, we might, might see more than that. Um, and uh, I mean, we are, we are two weeks into our Advent season now, which I, I'm excited that I could be back to, to step into the Advent season with you. Now, who can tell me what, what the word Advent means? Who's ready? Who's ready to put their hand up? Coming, right? Coming, yeah. This anticipation, this waiting of, of the coming of Christ. Um, and, and so we look to the Old Testament because we reflect on when the world was awaiting a Messiah, a Savior, the people of Israel, but then it being open to the entire world, we learn as, as Scripture unpacks. But we look back to that as we as Christians look forward to the second coming of Christ. That's why we sing songs like Joy to the World, which is actually a song about the second coming of Christ. It's actually not a Christmas song. Ruined it for everyone. <laughs> You can still sing that. It's okay. But, uh, you, know, you know, in trying to teach my family a bit about Advent, I decided to grow this. Because what this does is this causes my wife to say, oh, Lord, how long? <laughs> Not how long will it grow, but how long does this have to stay here and when will he shave it off? So I thought would be a cool thing is that while I preach this sermon on, on Advent, I shave it as I preach, but that might be a little messy. So I'm not going to do that. But we're looking this week at the idea of, uh, and we've been in this series uh, called The Great Reversal, because what the coming of Christ does is it changes things. It, it flips things on their heads. And so we're going we're gonna to look today at Isaiah chapter 9. In the day of Isaiah, 700 years approximately before, before Jesus came, the people of Israel needed a counselor. There was no one counseling them. They needed a good counselor. They felt fatherless and abandoned. They needed a good father. They weren't being ruled by a prince who was kind and peaceful. They needed a good prince of peace. And so Isaiah is declaring in the midst of their dark time of being overrun by foreign powers, he declares that there is going to be a good king. Now, in Isaiah's day, there's a good chance he was talking about specifically about King Hezekiah. But the New Testament looks back at this text and uses it to refer to Jesus. That said, just like Israel's been in a dark time in the past, the character of God has not changed. He is still a God who brings peace, who brings wonderful counselor, uh, brings wonderful counsel, who, who wants to be a father to the fatherless. And hey, by the way, Jesus explodes this open to the whole world. So if you're, if you're able to, um, it'll be behind me, but I'm going to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And that will be the text that we're going to use as a springboard to speak about God changing our darkness to light, the great reversal of changing our darkness to light. If you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand out of respect for God's, God's word. We're going to read Isaiah 9 verse 2, and then we're going to read verses 6 to 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Skipping to, to verse 6. For to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) I'm not emotional yet. I've just got something in my throat. We might get there. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord, the passion and the power of the Lord of hosts will do this. God, I pray you'd speak to us this morning through your word. And we don't want to leave here just cognitively, um, just gaining more knowledge. We don't want to walk out of here and go, oh, I understand that text a bit more. What we want to do is we want to invite your spirit to shine light in our hearts and in our minds. We want to invite you to shine light in those corners of our life that we've said you, you have no business there. That we don't want you to be Lord of that area. And for some of us, that might be a sin that we don't want discovered. For some of us, it might be a, a sense of guilt, of rejection, of brokenness. And we need you to shine your light there to bring healing and warmth and beauty and light. So however we come here this morning to this text, I pray you would counsel us through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take a seat. This, this connection, as I mentioned, from, from the words of Isaiah to the New Testament uh, writers, especially the writers of the gospel, was not lost. They saw what Jesus was doing as another bigger version of what was going on 700 years earlier when Isaiah was promising a new king to take care of the children of Israel. Speaking of deliverance from foreign powers. Well, Matthew does the same thing in his gospel. In, in, the gospel, in, the, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, he, talk, he quotes that same text to refer to what Jesus is going to do. The idea of Jesus bringing light into darkness is all over the gospel of John. The word light is used so many times in the gospel of John. And hardly at all in the other gospels. John loves this theme of light. In John chapter 1, Uh, Verses 4 to 5. I think we have it up here behind. Do we have anything? Oh, yeah. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then jumping to verse uh, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. The idea of those who worship and follow Jesus in the New Testament is, is described, we're described as children of light, as people of the light, followers of the light. That, that theme is speckled throughout the New Testament. So, I mean, so there's lots of Christian reasons to be excited about light, but the whole world loves light. The theme is not, should not be lost on the rest of the world. That's why people love to, to go do their tour of the Christmas light. We talked about doing a tour of Christmas lights for 20 years, and then we finally just stopped talking about it because we never did it. Unless we happen to be driving by something beautiful, and then we'd pull over and look at it. But we always have these great ideas. Let's fill up a thermos, make hot chocolate, and go around and look, at, look it up on the internet and find a great... And we just never did it. <laughs> but there's, there's something about lights that are, are stunning. We, 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 in, we, we enjoy taking in the, the, the light shining in the darkness. So I had an idea for this morning of what I could have done. Um, but... <laughs> I, I needed a few more months of growth. But who doesn't like Christmas lights? Just plain Christmas lights. Um, when we, some, and some of us like all the colors. 
and some of us just like them white and crisp and clear. <laughs> I mean, I actually hate putting the lights up, but I like what they look like. And that, that whole uh, plug that one light in, it just sprays up against your house, all the lights. That was the most brilliant invention of all time. And this year, we've got snowflakes falling on the front of our house, and it, it took me all of 30 seconds to jab it into the ground and plug it in. You're welcome, honey. And whether you're celebrating Christmas or, or the holiday season, there is something about Christmas lights that bring comfort. And that is a universal. We love lights. And the more lights for some, the better. And what makes lights, especially at this time of the year, so beautiful, even more powerful, is that they are up during the darkest time of the year. They shine even more because of the darkest time of the year. We don't do our Halloween fireworks at 12 noon. <laughs> there's a reason for that, because there's beauty when that light bursts into the darkness. That's what the gospel is. It is light bursting into the darkness. Imagine how much more in the days of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, and the times of Jesus, what it must have been like to talk about light shining in the darkness. Light has always been important. Today we take light for granted, but light comes easy to us. It is so unappreciated. I know what it means to take light for granted. When we, we all know, tell me if, you, if, if you're with me on this, when the power go, goes out, how many times do you switch the light and forget, oh yeah, the, light's, the power's out. I do it five or six times going into different rooms in the house. Go, oh yeah, it's only been out for three hours. There's no light coming through. But here's the thing. If we refuse to turn the light on when we can, if we are offered light, when we refuse to turn the light on, we will run into unseen dangers and difficulties. It's true of the darkness of night and it's true of the darkness of our soul. And we see it play out everywhere. The world is a dark Place. The world is a dark place, as it has always been if we refuse to let the, the light of God shine in. In Isaiah's day, it was darkened by foreign powers, pushing up against the children of Israel, stealing life, enslaving the people of Israel. But the New Testament writers, they use this as a metaphor for something, uh, for a, a, an unseen, a darkness that runs even deeper than a foreign power, something going on, covering over us and moving in us. And I don't think we need convincing I mean, we, I could go through news story after news story to describe the brokenness and the darkness of the human condition. Dark, confusing, bro broken, so broken that scripture describes it as, a, as we can't even comprehend the light. We don't even like the light at times. John says in, in the same gospel, John, John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. They, they liked the, they felt warm in the darkness rather than in the light. The world is dark. And the world is dark in at least two obvious ways. One is the presence of evil. The last week and a half, we've had cars plowing through parades. Killing five or six, maybe more. Protests over the last year and a half going badly. Refugees fleeing their homes. Hopelessness. Families here, in our own community, families being ripped apart, grief, Facebook and Twitter, you want to find a dark spot? Dive in. Other repositories of the cesspool of the human heart. <laughs> Facebook, my friends telling me I'm a moron, and Twitter, famous people telling me I'm a moron. 
disagreeing with me. They, we, and we're addicted to this stuff that brings darkness. And if we're not drawn to it, we're definitely overwhelmed by it. These might not be the things that draw us in, but we, we sense the darkness and the heaviness of all of them. And if it's not getting worse, at least we can say it's consistent. <laughs> Doesn't seem to be going away. But what do we do then? What do we do? How do we get out of this? Because there seems to be a real ignorance of the cure, right? As, as we look at the world and we go, what are we going to come up with to solve these different problems, these different ailments in our community? We look at them with the, with the light of the gospel sometimes. We go, how, how, are we, how does that work? No one seems to know the cure. Isaiah 9 verse 2 tells us light is coming and that there is darkness. But chapter 8 of Isaiah, uh, we're told why we need light. We need to know the cause if we want to know the cure. Isaiah 8, verse 21 says, They will pass through the land greatly distressed. So this, this is how Israel is going to exist. They're going to pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they'll be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. This is not just physical hunger. This is spiritual hunger. And turn their faces upward. Then they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So darkness to more darkness to thick darkness. So what's happening here? What's happening in Isaiah's day? Well, people are complaining that the world is in a bad state. They're complaining that they don't like the way things are. They don't like the government. Now, let me just give you a bit of background on this text. It is hard to believe, but there was a time when people used to complain about their government. No, no, it's true. People used to find things about the government that they didn't like, and they would complain about them. There was a time in the ancient past when people were inclined to speak harshly and with contempt about those who were their leaders. And in this case, it's the same thing. They're looking at their government. They're mad at God. And so they look down. They look to the earth. This is a way of saying they look at humanity and what they have in front of them. What can they do to pull themselves out of this distress? What can they do to pull themselves out of this darkness? We are in darkness, but we can overcome it. Doesn't that sound like our Disney gospel? You can do it. You just have to believe. Just look deep inside yourself. Follow your heart. Maybe not. Okay, but call the experts. Call, call the philosophers. Join a cause. What do we do today? We say, government, you better fix this. Technology will fix this. Programs will fix it. A new identity will fix it. I don't like, I don't feel comfortable with my identity, so I'll, just, I'll change it. Things are dark, but it's up to us to make a change. And so Isaiah says, they look to the earth, and what do they find? They don't find help. They find more darkness. Thank goodness they didn't have social media. Imagine how dark it would have got then. Surprise, there's no light there. It's a dark, dark pit. We live in an age, and let's be honest, we're greatly influenced by an age that, believe, that believes that, that anything we need to, to emancipate ourselves from emotional darkness, emotionally, spiritually, we can manufacture it. We can come up with it. We've got, we've got something, which puts us in a very rough, rough spot. Between the presence of evil in our own hearts and, and surrounding us, our inability to manufacture our own light, we find that darkness brings on a discontent. You notice people are discontent these days? Frustrated? Longing? It, 
This discontent tears at unity. I tell you, this has been probably the greatest test of most of our times when it comes to the church is where we stand on vaccines and non-vaccines, listening to the government, not listening to the government, masks, no masks, mandates, all that kind of stuff. I feel it in my heart and I feel it when I converse with other people. Do not let this destroy the unity that Jesus died to create. And if we try to manufacture it just with our arguments and just with our own logic, we will get angry. But if we allow the light of the gospel to shine in, we can be emancipated from the darkness that tries to cover over all of this. With, with COVID, I find that there are people I deeply disagree with. I deeply, I strongly disagree with and I and adamantly disagree with. I, I, I can't, I, I won't find any more words. I feel it in my stomach. Have you, you noticed that you feel it in your stomach? You have a disagreement with someone in the other room is saying something. You're like, no, they're so wrong. They're so, and you, you physically feel it. We need to be released from that. That, need, that should have no power over our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever side we land on, whatever arguments, as Christians, we need to affirm that much of our discontent is, is deeper than government mandates and, and someone disagreeing with us. There is a spiritual frustration going on and a longing going on. Darkness brings frustration and longing. I'm not sure whether it's, it's old age in myself or just a stubbornness, a stubborn love for my wife. But often when I get up in the morning, I refuse to turn the light on as I get ready to leave the room. And I fumble and I knock things off the bedside table. I kneel down to pick something up that I've dropped and I puncture something in my knee and I scream and I make a noise. I kick something. Eventually, my loving wife will go, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing this for you. And we both end up frustrated as I try to move around. I can put glasses on. That's not going to help me in the dark. So I end up just frustrating both of us. Why not just turn on the light? <laughs> the light is disruptive. We don't like lights turning on in the middle of the night or into our darkness. It bursts. It can burn our eyes when things are exposed. It can show us the mess. But it also gives clarity. It also gives warmth. It helps us maneuver in a way that's less harmful to ourselves and to others. And it can save us from harm. See, a stubborn refusal to turn on the light in my room can cause frustration and even pain. A refusal to allow God's light to permeate my life can be detrimental. It can be detrimental to my relationships, my sense of identity and purpose, and the health of my soul which will lead to a low-grade ongoing frustration at a lower level. And that's what I feel like our society kind of has right now. Our culture has is a, a low-grade ongoing frustration. It's always there underneath the surface. It's ready to rear its ugly head at every conversation right now. And it's to this kind of low-grade frustration that the people of Israel, please, the people of Israel understood as foreign powers overround them. It's to this kind of low-grade frustration and discontent that the gospel light, the light of Christ wants to shine. And in a world seemingly bent and, and attracted to darkness, it so needs the light of Christ. 
In his essay, A Free Man's Worship, atheist philosopher Bertrand Russell, who dismissed the possibility of God, refused to suggest that the light of something outside could shine into our darkness. He did not believe in the supernatural. He saw darkness in his own philosophy. This darkness of humanity just meant we just had to live with it. He said, this is a long quote. Stick with me. (laughs) That man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths these very negative truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. Who invited that guy to the party? (laughs) Have another one, Bertrand. (laughs) Wow, talk about dark. When you have no light shining in, is it any surprise that people are living in despair and anxiety? But he's right. If, if our hope for light is only what we can pull off, what, we are, what we're left to create, our own story, using the building blocks of nothingness, nihilism, darkness, then we will remain in the dark. And as Isaiah is saying in chapter 8 of Isaiah, we just get darker and darker and darker. He's just helping prove the point of Isaiah Chapter 8, when we look only to the earth, to to human resources, the darkness gets worse. And Isaiah's counsel, the Christian message, the message of Advent, the message of, of Christmas, is that things really are this bad, and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. Do we live as people of hope? For unto us a child is born. Unto us, a son is given to bring light into the darkness. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Something outside us has shone in. It has dawned. It's not, it's not self-created. It's, it's risen and it's shining on our darkness to show truth and to reveal beauty. The light that has dawned brings life. It shows truth. It reveals beauty It's not by accident when someone created the electric light, no one said, ah, we don't need it. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) was very excited about the invention of the electric light. People were walking around with candles (laughs) and whale oil trying to light up a room. Have you, we, we don't seem to realize that until the lights do go out and we go, where are the candles? Where's, where's the flashlight? And we realize, wow, a candle really doesn't give off very much light. It's not, we all, as pastors, we always look back to pastors from centuries past. Like, how did they get so much done? Because they couldn't do anything else. They're just sitting there with a light. They got nothing else to do but read and study. There's nothing else. 
Light is a wonderful thing. It brings life. Life can flourish in the light. When Christianity is properly lived out in, in community, light chases out the darkness. That's what the gospel is meant to do. That's what you and I are meant to do as, as conduits and ambassadors of this light. This life brings, this light brings life and truth and beauty. When light chases out darkness, there is life. We all know the kinds of things that grow in the darkness. Many of us have had to have washroom uh, walls torn down because something was growing in the dark behind the walls. We've gone to an area in the basement and go, oh, I didn't know that was happening. <laughs> you live in areas of, of Poco and you can't grow any grass because it's damp and dark. That's what grows in the dark, things that we fight against. When we shine light on them, life grows. Good things grow. And that's what the gospel wants to invite us into. That's what Advent and Christmas is aiming us towards. John chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, as we read, In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It brings life because there is health in obedience to God's kingdom of light. There's, there's wisdom and life that comes from pursuing Jesus and following this life. This is something that, that the, the children of Israel seem to understand. Psalm 119, verses 102 to 106 says this, I do not turn aside from your rules, your commands, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, your commands, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word, your rules, your law is like a lamp to my feet. It makes it so I don't knock things off my bedside table. It makes it so I don't stub my toe. Your light is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirm it to keep your righteous rules. I'm not sure what we've done to this idea of God's commands and the idea of, of submitting our life to something outside of ourselves that has made God's rules really low on the scale. But we're obviously missing something that the children of Israel understood, that there's actually life and light when we follow the ways of God, when we follow his wisdom. It brings light. It protects us. I tell you, I'm, I'm tired of explaining to my children why marriages are breaking up. I'm tired of, 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 of talking to my children and trying to explain to them why people who claim the way of Christ are making such bad decisions in their life and having to explain over and over, well, they decided that these rules don't apply to them. They thought that they were the exception. And I'm pretty sure my kids, it's getting in there though, they're, they are sick and tired of the answer, but I, I hope it is sinking in. God set up his creation to function best when we live in his light. Life flourishes there and naturally deteriorates outside his light. How many areas in our life have we said, you can rule over everything, but not here. And bad things have grown there. And they get bigger and bigger, and we're doing more and more in our life to keep it hidden. That room has to be bigger. We have to build a whole add-on for it. And it, it could be sin. It could be, as I mentioned earlier, it could be guilt and brokenness that we, we're just not allowing the light of Christ to define us, to shine life and light into that area of our lives. There's a way that seems right to a man, Solomon says, but its end is the way of death. It's to darkness. It's clamoring in the dark. That's why, that's why it's important that we, we connect life, this light to life and to truth. We, we need to allow the truth of the gospel 
to shine. And what it says about us, what the gospel says about you and I, that we were willing the life of God's son, that light needs to shine in every corner of our life. That truth needs to shine in the, every corner of our life. Since the beginning of the church, there have been creeds. There have been catechisms to, to teach and to help us understand what the, the truth is, what this light is, this truth in our lives. It's why we have Alpha at our church. It's why we have next steps to, to teach us the truth that we're agreeing to. These are important. Because if not, how are we going to be catechized? How, are, what, what, how do we learn truth in this world? If we listen to the liturgy of everything else, we're going to be catechized by Netflix and social media and Fox News and CNN. See, I said both of them, so you can't pick a side. Conscience is no longer about asking real questions about right and wrong. It's about how does this make me feel? That's not truth. There can be no light in that way of approaching life, approaching God and the community Christ died to create. In 1 John 1, 5-9, John writes this in his letter. He says, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. See how when we don't allow the light and the life and the truth of the gospel to shine into this community, we won't have fellowship. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, see that last verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why we are willing to take the burst of light that's uncomfortable at first. To, we're willing to let the light of the gospel shine on us because we know where it leads. He is willing to forgive all sin, to give us a new label, to call us children of light rather than children of darkness. The light of the gospel is the truth of God. And when it is allowed to shine, it brings repentance forgiveness, and cleansing. It transforms darkness into light. Out there, it happens in communities when the gospel reaches a community, and it happens in here too when we've been walking in darkness. Like I said, whether it be sin or whether it be labels that are attached to us that have no right to be there as children of the living God. As Isaiah says somewhere else in Isaiah 61, he gives beauty for ashes. He gives joy instead of mourning. He gives praise Instead of weakness. That's what happens when light chases out darkness. It also, it reveals beauty. It reveals beauty in life. How many of us are so, we're, we're, we're so quick to label, to list the things that are wrong with the world. We forget the great old songs of count your blessings, name them one by one. <laughs> we, we forget the beauty in the world. When, that, that, that gets dismissed when we don't allow the, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of God's creation to shine. But for beauty to be revealed, light needs to shine on it. I've noticed that in the past, when, when Lelania has asked me, how do I look? Which there's only one answer, gentlemen. Fantastic. Don't even let the sentence finish. You look great. When we used to go on, when we used to go on, that sounded so pathetic. When we used to go on dates, uh, when, well, okay, COVID has stopped that for the most part. But when, when we go on a date and she was wearing a beautiful outfit, I noticed something. Whenever she asked, when she took the opportunity to ask me how she looked, the light was always on. 
She never asked me in pitch black, how do you think I look? Why? Because I would not be able to tell how she looked if the light is off. I would not be able to see the beauty of my wife if the light was off. Light reveals beauty. Beauty requires light. Some people wonder why they can't, they can't see anything but just a negative view of everything. You need to allow the, the eternal light of the gospel to shine in, to give a larger perspective. The gospel reminds us that it's, it's a light from, the out, from outside of ourselves that illuminates the beauty of humanity, the beauty of creation, the beauty even of being made in the image of the living God. But that beauty comes and is, and is revealed only when we allow Jesus, the light, to be our life, to reveal living, active, life-changing, life-changing truth, and even to define what is beautiful. Because we can mess that up sometimes. Where light is, there is life, there's truth, there's beauty. That's the, the proclamation, that's the invitation of Isaiah repeated in the gospel. That's the proclamation of Christmas. It's what we're aiming for in Advent. But allowing that light to shine, giving it full reign to shine in our lives can be very difficult. Like I said, especially it burns your eyes when it first comes in. But we need to invite it to shine in dark corners. Only if we want true life, to live in truth, to have beauty. Many of us have uh, dimmer switches in our house. I love the dimmer switch. That's one of the best inventions of all time, right after the invention of light. Just for each mood, you've just got the right light. Having dinner, playing some board games in the dining room, lights all the way up. Messy table, people are coming over. We'll just turn that down a little bit. Maybe you should get dimmer switches everywhere in the house. When it comes to my life, when it comes to my soul, my personal decisions, I want to be in control of the dimmer switch. <laughs> when it comes to my spirituality, we tend to want to have control of the dimmer switch. We, we want to get close to Jesus, but we'll just, just a little, we don't want to have full light. Just uh, maybe just a little bit. Because once I start getting that, that a little bit higher, there's things being exposed in my heart and mind that, I maybe don't want to deal with right now. So I'll just, and Jesus is going, why, why don't you step away? Why don't you step away from that? Why don't you let me have control of that switch? Jesus is pushing into certain areas of my life that I don't want exposed. Do a little hand slap and try to take it back. <laughs> but we, what we need to, to realize this morning, and, and this is part of the beauty of the gospel, is that as God as, as the gospel of Jesus, the good news that God has not left us in darkness, but actually stepped into it in the person of Jesus Christ, as, as we relinquish the dimmer switch and he moves, moves it up, increasing the light, exposing what life was meant to look like in, in its revealing truth, which may mean, mean repentance and obedience in the midst of that, which, which we, can be, we can be so uncomfortable when that light shines brightly, the increase in light simultaneously increases beauty and life and belonging. But for the full beauty of life, of the gospel to be revealed, we cannot be in charge of that switch. We cannot point to any section of our life, any square foot of our life, and say, you can shine light everywhere, but not here. That is not life. 
That's where the bad stuff grows. Jesus makes it clear the light must shine in the darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we look to Christ, we, we gain the knowledge of God's glory and the light shines in our life. Born in a manger, yet wonderful counselor. We need a wonderful counselor. Born in a manger, yet a mighty God. A mighty, everlasting God. Born in a manger, yet everlasting Father. There are so many people who feel fatherless and outside of family. Born in a manger, yet Prince of Peace. As we are approaching Christmas, we are invited to more than a seasonal light show. More than, than warmth that comes from ideas of everlasting hope. Ideas, the idea of peace, the idea of joy. We're welcomed into the light of an eternal prince who seeks to outshine every other light that we look to. To bring about real life. Illuminating, yet at times uncomfortable, light that brings truth and light that brings beauty. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your stubborn love. That even as we would defy you and lift our fist to heaven, we would deny you as we, treat, we, we attempt to save ourselves from darkness that we've created. You still pursue us. You still love us. Your light never runs out. And so for some of us this morning, there may be, in big and small ways, there may be areas where we've just told you hands off. And it's been even easier during COVID for those places to grow in the dark. And so where, where anger has been growing, where animosity has been growing, we invite your light to shine there. And we pray that true light would, would, <laughs> would be so strong that it would burn away what the darkness has grown. And it would grow new life. That would have fruit of life and kindness. Of welcoming. Of peace and joy. God, for those of us in this time of, of COVID and, and loneliness. Things like uh, loneliness have grown and, 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 and shame maybe. Burdens and titles that have been thrown on us that you have never labeled us. I pray that your light, your light would shine in those corners as well. That it would expose those lies. That it would burn those lies, consume those lies, and grow in, in place new titles of belonging, new titles of, of welcomed, child of the living God, child of light, family of God, brother and sister of Christ, co-heir with Christ.
We thank you that you did not leave us to wallow in the darkness. You did not leave us to attempt to save ourselves. And so I pray forgiveness for all the ways we've attempted to do it in spite of what you've offered us in the gospel. Whatever needs to happen today in our, in our lives and in, in our decisions, I pray you would give us the courage to do so. We would let the light of your gospel light our paths and keep us on the path of life and truth and beauty. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.